Hey, so uh, they locked that door. We have a different janitor today, and so look at them all. They all love the attention so much in our band. Um, so they would have been locked in the music room the whole time, which kind of would have been sad for them. I spent a whole night uh, with a roommate once. This has nothing to do with my sermon. This wasn't like a planned um, illustration or anything, but I spent a whole night uh, in this storage thing off of our apartment that was probably, if I had to guess, four by like eight, um, and we had a giant bookshelf in there and a desk, and so Sean and I, it was freezing cold, and we didn't have pillows, and it was just concrete with a piece of carpet laid over it. I mean, Sean went with like the no shirt, trying to use it as a pillow, and I, I just just laid there like this the whole night. We were just looking for people to yell at. It was the, one of the worst nights of my life, actually. We, were, we tried MySpacing people at the time, and, and we couldn't get a hold of any. We were like, we had found these, these uh, there were youth girls that were in our youth group that we didn't even know hardly. I mean, we just kind of knew them. We're like, can you just get us help? Can you find somebody that can let us out? So that's a real story. Um, the other thing is, I don't have much of a voice. You can tell that I was sick last week, and then <clears throat> um, I was getting better, and I am better. But I, I went to the Beaver game yesterday, and I said this to somebody already. There wasn't much to cheer about, but there was a lot to yell about. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I was thinking in my head, if the Beavers would have made a better effort, then I wouldn't have to make such a grand effort to be up here today and <laughs> give a sermon despite the pain. Uh, but I'm willing to tough one out so that those 18-year-olds could take a day off yesterday. Um, so <clears throat> envy is what we're actually talking about, not the beavers uh, or getting locked in closets. But uh, envy, uh, we've talked about sneaks up on you, and it can be really bad for your lives. Uh, but I, I've found, I see in my own life, that envy comes from Satan. We talked about that. But, but there is this one kind of characteristic, there's this one kind of uh, thing that that leads Satan to be able to use envy in my life. And it is me feeling unfulfilled in any area, pick an area of life. And when I feel unfulfilled in a certain area, uh, then envy seems to, over time, find its way into my life, and Satan begins to use envy in my life. And uh, we've talked about, <laughs> we've talked about uh, how... I'm going to do that like 10 times. <clears throat> it's like being 13 again. Um, how envy rots us from the inside out and how it slays self and how it, it leads to us doing things that are evil, evil things that we never even thought possible for ourselves, things we would never, you know, at the beginning of our lives or at any point in life thought someday I could do that. But if we envy long enough and strong enough, then eventually it will lead us to doing things that we just, we never thought we would ever do. But yet envy comes into our lives and Satan brings it into our lives. And I think he preys upon us. I think just from my experiences, he preys upon us when we are discontent when we are unfulfilled in a certain area of life. And I think this discontent uh, is described in a song that came to my mind this week. I think it's actually could be like, the song could be called discontent. Uh, I think that's what it could be called. And it goes like this. You may have heard it on the radio or something. Look at this stuff, isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? Wouldn't you think I'm a girl? The girl who has everything. 
It's from Disney. If you don't know why people are laughing, and you're like, man, I don't remember Michael Jackson singing that, you know? Uh, it's a Disney song, but listen, listen to what Ariel, the Little Mermaid, says. Look at this trove, treasures untold. How many wonders can one cavern hold? Looking around here, you'd think, sure, she's got everything. I've got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. I've got who's-its and what's-its galore. You want thingamabobs? I got 20, but who cares? No big deal. You want to sing it? I want more. Good, yeah, I want more. That's what Ariel says. I want to be where the people are. I want to see, I want to see them dancing, walking around on those, what do you call them? Oh, feet. Flipping your fins, you don't get too far. Legs are required for jumping, dancing, strolling along down a, what's that word again? Street. Up where they walk, up where they run, up where they stay all day in the sun, wandering free, wish I could be part of that world. What would I give if I could live out of these waters? What would I pay to spend a day warm on the sand? Bet you on land they'd understand, but they don't reprimand their daughters, bright young women, sick of swimming, ready to stand. And I'm ready to know what the people know, ask my questions and get some answers. What's a fire and why does it, what's the word burn? When's it my turn? Wouldn't I love, love to explore the shore up above, out of the sea, wish I could be part of that world. Now, let me just tell you about Ariel, if you don't know about Ariel. Ariel's beautiful, I think, by every cartoon standard. Um, So she's got that going, but she's not comfortable with her physical attributes, apparently, because she wants feet. And Ariel is a king's daughter, who has a cavern for her stuff, like literally, like she has, she has a whole, whole cave just for her things, just for the things that she's collected, but it's just not enough. She wants more, and she has a dad who loves her and cares about her, doesn't want her to do stupid things, but notice she's jealous of other people's dads. Up on land, I bet they have dads that, that really just know how to treat their daughters, and in this story, we see her do stupid things that almost gets her turned into a little weird fishy thing. I'm not sure what that is, but that's how the story goes, and she doesn't because true love always wins in a Disney movie. And here's two things to notice. One is how careless we are about the topic of of discontentment and, I think, envy in that story, too. We've talked about that a lot. It's like we... We relish these songs, and I'm not against Disney, and I like the song, and I'll continue to like the song, but we never think about what is this teaching my kid? What is this song actually saying? Like, if you could just get something else, then you would be happy. If you could just get Eric, then you would be happy. That's the prince's name. Uh, And the other thing that we see in this story is that discontentment, she's just discontent about her situation in life, about who her dad is, leads to her being jealous of the people on the land, and it leads to her doing absolutely stupid things, in my opinion. I mean, the Disney story doesn't present it that way, but it's stupid. I mean, she gives up her greatest talent kind of on a gamble that she'll be able to steal a kiss without being able to talk at all. It's not even good odds. It was just a stupid plan. Uh, She sells her soul to what is the devil character in in the story, Ursula. And, And I think that's what we do. We go, I'm discontent, and now I'm jealous because they have what's going to make me content, and now I will in some way sell my soul to the devil in order to have what they have because I want it so badly. And here's the great news. As we finish this series, uh, we're not really talking about envy today. We're talking about being content we're not talking about stopping something. We're, start, we're talking about starting something, and that is you starting a life that is content. Because when you are content, then you are no longer envious. When you are content, you are no longer jealous, words we're using synonymously in this series. 
When you're content, you don't covet. And so as we look at Philippians 4, 10 through 13 today, what we see, it's awesome, is we see Paul, through the inspiration of God, writing to us and to the church in Philippi and saying, here's how you become content. I figured it out and I want to tell you too. Here's what Paul says. In Philippians 4.10, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, Paul's writing to this church in Philippi, and these people had given financially to his ministry so that he could have the things that he needed as he traveled around the countryside telling people about Jesus. And, and Paul is writing to these people now, and he wants them to know something. He wants them to know uh, that he, he's noticed their... They're, uh, they're wanting to renew that help, um, to do it again. I mean, I, I don't know if that's his purpose, but he, but he wants them to see that, that he isn't writing so that they give him more money. That's really at the heart of it. He's not saying, hey, I want you to have more money, but he is rejoicing in the fact that they wanted to help him out. And so that's kind of the scene for this. And uh, before we move on to what Paul says, uh, because we're really at the heart of the passage is moving forward, I just want to point out that I think this is pretty cool by the church in Philippi. Um, I mean, how much less jealous and envious would we be if we had a heart like this church that was sad in some ways because they didn't have an opportunity to give? I mean, they're looking at Paul, and the most likely scenario is that Paul is no longer in need because he's in prison, and so uh, they're giving him, you know, a meal and a cot, uh, and so they don't have a, a way to give. And Paul's writing them and saying, like, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. These people didn't even know, they knew Paul didn't have a need, but yet they wanted to give to Paul's ministry because they cared about moving the kingdom of God forward so much. And I think that it demonstrates kind of the opposite attitude of jealousy, a heart of generosity that says, what can I give, not what can I gain? What can I give to you? What can I donate? How can I serve? What can I do in order to move the kingdom of God forward? But Paul continues in Philippians 4.11. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So Paul says, I'm not in need, but he says, and I want you to notice this, I have learned, learned to be content. I think, I really do, I believe, that we have this mentality about content people, that, that they were just born content, that, that there's a content gene, that it's in their DNA, that they just woke up one day and all of a sudden they were content. They just, they just had enough. But Paul admits in some ways, I used to not be content, but I have learned the secret of being content. Now this word for content is really important because sometimes translation we can lose the real kind of deep meaning of content um, and I think looking at this Greek word just for a moment is important. The word means actually sufficient for oneself, strong enough or possessing enough to need no aid or support or it can be uh, also defined as sufficient in oneself, self-adequate, needing no aid, hence contented. And so when you read that, you might go, wow, Paul's just learned to be a superstar. Like he's just learned to not need anybody, including 
God. But when you look at how that word is actually used in historical Greek, you start to see that it, it takes on a different nuance. It takes on a different meaning. It's used like this, a sufficient number of jars. The tenure of one year is sufficient. The full number of men. I have suffered enough from her. I'd like to know what the context of that is, but I didn't find it, so I have suffered enough from her. Plato uses this same word and in a very similar way. And Plato says this in our translation, we are not individually independent, that's the word he uses, but have many wants. And so what the word seems to be is a word that describes having enough. Plato says like, hey, we don't have enough. We still have wants, even though we seemingly have figured out we still, how to live life we still want. And Paul comes along and uses the word and he seems to use it in a way that describes having enough. And Paul says, this is the awesome part, I have learned to have enough no matter what. That's a big deal. He probably said it without the 13-year-old voice, but I have learned to have enough no matter what. This is an important thing to learn, isn't it? I mean, Paul doesn't say, I learned to gain enough. I learned to to create enough for myself. I learned to be successful enough that I no longer had wants. He says, I've learned to have enough no matter what I have or don't have. And he elaborates on that in Philippians 4.12. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. We think if I have more, then I will have enough. Paul says, I've learned to have enough even when I don't have anything, even when there's tons of things that I would like to have, even when I'm not well fed, I have learned to have enough. This is a big deal because it totally flips on our, on our kind of heads the mindset that we have about contentment. We think when I get to this stage of life, when I accomplish this thing, when I get to that place, then I will be content. I know people whose whole lives, and I can just watch it, their whole lives are driven by discontentment. I mean, you just watch them go from one thing to another, to another, to another, and you can just see them, like thinking and believing, if I just get to this next stage, if I just get this next job or a different job, or I make new friends, or I get into the right parties, if I do the right drugs, then I will be content. And you see that it's a failing plan because these people never stop. They just keep Switching things and switching things and moving forward and switching things. And Paul says, that's not my situation. I haven't arrived at some place in life. It's not like now I have the degree or now I have the spouse or now I have the money or now I have the job. It's like I had stuff, I haven't had stuff. And in all of that, in all of that, I've learned to have enough. I mean, you know, I heard this quote the other day. I thought it was brilliant, actually. It's from the show Sports Night, which is a pretty brilliantly written show. It's my show of choice right now. Uh, and a guy who's 
not a very cool guy. He's not into that kind of thing. He's like a, a weather nerd. I think they call him a weather nerd on the show. Um, really likes uh, just weird things. Uh, he gets into this club with his girlfriend, or he, they get access to this New York nightlife club that's awesome. And he says this thing. He says it kind of in a weird order, but you'll get the point anyway. He says, we're going to be in a room surrounded by people for whom cool means discontent. Isn't that kind of the truth? I mean, sometimes we look at the most successful people and they're only successful, whether it be cool or rich or whatever, because they're discontent and they're trying to fix that discontentment in their life. They're trying to cover over that discontentment. They're trying to do something about it. And so they just keep being cool or trying to be more successful or get another girlfriend or whatever it might be. I think that he hit on something that we all see and what we're talking about in this series That it doesn't matter how rich you get in any area of life, you can still be discontent and therefore you can still be envious. And Paul says, I've learned in every situation how to be content. He's learned a single secret. Listen to the experiences of Paul. He says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers and danger from bandits and danger from my fellow Jews and danger from Gentiles and danger in the city and danger in the country and danger in the, at sea and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And Paul says, somewhere in the midst of all that, I wonder when, <laughs> that he learned to have enough no matter what. I wonder when. I wonder if it was like after the first beating or the second beating or the third beating or the the fourth sleepless night or the the fifth night without hunger. I wonder at what point he, he learned it. But at some point, he says, I learned the secret. I have learned the secret to being content no matter what. And here it is. <clears throat> Philippians 4.13. You may have this tattooed somewhere. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now this is a famous, famous verse. Tim Tebow used to put it under his eye black. Um, It's seemingly just used at every sporting event. I mean, this is a famous verse because it's a rah-rah verse. It pumps us up. But I want you to listen to what Francis Chan says about it. I can do all this through him who gives me strength has become a catch-all phrase to mean I can do anything, whatever I feel like doing. God is going to give me the power to do it right there. Isn't that how we sometimes use that verse? Isn't that how you have quoted it? You're in the midst of a trial and you go, I'll get through it. I'll figure it out. I'll fix it because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, King James Version of the Bible. When Paul wrote this letter, book of Philippians, he's writing it from prison. And there's different ideas about the date of this writing, but a lot of people put it uh, in early 60s AD, so like 63 AD, and uh, tradition tells us that Paul will die around somewhere in 65 AD at the hands of Nero, and if 
that dating of this book is correct, then Paul never gets free from prison. But the way we quote this verse is like, Paul is saying, hey, here's the deal, guys. I can do all things through Christ who sets me free, so here's the plan. I'm gonna like karate chop a couple guards. I'll steal a key. I'll do a barrel roll. I'll, I'll, I'll throw a nunchuck. I'll knock another guy out. Excuse me. Uh, and then I will, I will get free from this prison and I'll start an uprising and I will overthrow Nero and I will make every single person in the whole wide world a Christian. I'll be rich and happy forevermore because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's how we use the verse. And Paul is gonna sit in this prison cell and he's gonna die. A terrible death at the hands of one of the worst emperors who's ever ever lived. I mean, the guy just killed people for fun, literally killed people for fun. He would, Nero would put people, Christians being part of this, up in his gardens, and he would dress in claws, and he would attack them and kill them like he was hunting them. He would use them to light his gardens. He'd light them on fire and use them to light his gardens, and this is who Paul is going to die at the hands of, most likely, And so Paul is not saying, in Jesus, man, I can do whatever I want. He's saying something radically different than that, something probably better. I want to show a picture just to demonstrate, and this is how we use this verse. And it's a dangerous way to use this verse. This is a Christian t-shirt company that put this out. I can do all things. I actually saw on Facebook the other day, um, Cal, who used to play keyboard for us when we shared a church building, for those of you that remember Cal, uh, he posted that his daughter, who's had special needs her whole life, uh, got on the honor roll at her school, which was super cool. And right below it in the comments, somebody said, she can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It was after I had sent my sermon to Bryn, so we didn't get in there. And and what's the implication? What's the implication when you put the t-shirt on like I will always win? What's the implication when you put that in the comments? Well, man, if every kid that has special needs just believed enough in Jesus, man, then they could be on the honor roll too. There's no evidence for that. There's no biblical evidence or anecdotal evidence for that being true. And so we have this dangerous use of what Paul is giving to us in this profound statement. Francis Chan says, the purpose of this verse is to tell you you are rich in Christ. So even if you don't have a penny to your name, you can be content. Pastor Brian Yawn writes, the actual point is even more glorious than the suburban legend. He adds, it gets us much closer to grace. We normally take it to mean something like I can do anything I set my mind to if I simply believe. That is, I can achieve my personal goal by faith. Get this job, win this game, ace this test. But the verse has little or nothing to do with the personal achievement in the face of severe odds. It's not about our achievements at all. It's about Christ's achievement and constant dependence on him regardless of one's station in life, good or bad. Now, it's really important to know something about this verse. That, that, um, for those of you in our Bible study, this will be fascinating, that are learning how to study the Bible. Uh, for the rest of you, it's just important to know this. Uh, the word, the verb, I do, is actually not in this verse at all. Uh, it's not there. It's a supplied verb. The only verb in this verse is the word that, uh, that is strength. And, and so the verb means, the only verb in this sentence is to strengthen in, that is to render strong, to impart strength. Ben Witherington III, uh, one of the great commentators that lives, says, I am able, strong enough, and then he supplies to endure all things in him who empowers me. And I think that gets us much closer 
If you don't supply endure any other verbs, then it translates something like this. All strength through him who strengthens me. And that's what Paul's saying to us. Not that we could have whatever we want, not that God will give us whatever we want if we just have some type of magical, metaphysical faith, but then in everything, we have the strength that we need through him who strengthens us. That is Christ. You see, the point here is that even if you go down a long line of cancer and die, you still have the strength that you need because of what Christ has supplied to you. Even if you're totally broke and you never ever get wealthy or never have enough money, it feels like you still have the strength you need through him who strengthens you, that is Jesus. Even if you lose a basketball game, you have the strength that you need to deal with that because of him who strengthens you. Even if you fail at everything, you still have the strength you need through him who strengthens you. John Piper tweeted this. It's funny that John Piper tweets. If you can picture John Piper's face, if you know who that is, he's a famous pastor that doesn't seem at all like a famous pastor. But if you can picture him tweeting, it's funny. But he tweeted this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like, go hungry, get cancer, be killed, and go home. It's a good tweet for John Piper. What makes us content is what Paul's getting at, is knowing what we have in Jesus. And I would say, if I were Paul, knowing what the goal is for our lives when we are, are in Jesus. And if you look through the book of Philippians, I just want to read these verses to you quickly. Paul, Paul demonstrates a life of contentment. And it's all driven by an understanding of what his job is and knowing what he has in Jesus to do that job and to do the work of God. Philippians 1, 15 through 17. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Paul's sitting in prison. He used to be like the famous pastor, and now he's in prison. And other guys, not because they love Jesus at all, but because they're jealous of Paul, start to preach and gain a following. And Paul's sitting there and he's going, that's fine, I'm celebrating that because I know what it's all about. It's about moving the kingdom of Jesus forward. In Philippians 1, 21 through 24, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, what, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in this body. An incredible statement. I would rather die because it would be better because I understand what I have in Christ and what I have to look forward to in Christ. But since you people need me, I'm gonna stay a while, I think. I think Jesus is gonna let me live a little longer. He's gonna make me live a little longer. But notice the recognition of the, the goal to help people move forward in the kingdom of God and the, the recognition of what he has, a future in Jesus. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. That takes knowing that God is taking care of you. If you can just say, I'm all about other people's interests, then you know what you have in God. 
Philippians 3, 7 through 9. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul, Paul says, I used to be successful and I don't care anymore. Anything that seemed to matter to me doesn't matter to me anymore because I know what it is to be rich in Christ and that is what I am content in. The word he uses is actually poop. And in my homiletics class, my preaching class in in college, one of the most memorable sermons I've ever had, uh, Nate Raffin stood up, not Nate Raffin, Nate Glaze stood up and Nate Glaze had a Burger King crown on one side and this little piece of plastic poop on the other side of him. And he said, look, this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that everything that is apart from Jesus is this little turd and everything over, it's funnier when you say turd and I'm sure Nate did knowing Nate, uh, and everything with Jesus is this crown of life and so why why try to find your contentment in that when you have this it was a great illustration I didn't know where to find a piece of poop um, so I just went with telling the story I guess Philippians 3 20 through 21 but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He's like, I'm not a citizen of this earth. I can't find contentment on this earth because I am a citizen of heaven. The increasing knowledge of what we have in Christ and what we do in Christ is what brings contentment and cancels coveting. Horatio Gates Spafford lost major real estate and investments in the Chicago fire. He lost more in the economic downturn of 1873 and he sent his family ahead of him while he took care of some financial things because he had financial situations going on. And while his wife and the four daughters were on their way, the ship collided with another ship and the four daughters were killed. And his wife writes him this telegram that's famous now and it begins, saved alone, what shall I do? And he goes on to write a song with these words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You see, he understood that it wasn't about this life. He didn't find his contentment in this life. He didn't find his contentment in his kids. That's a problem in the Wilsonville area. He didn't find his contentment in his children. He found his contentment in Christ. And so no matter what happened, like Paul, he was able to say, it's well, because I am strengthened by him who strengthens me. You see, for us, when it comes to envy, it'll always be a struggle if we're discontent. Because when you're discontent, you covet. And when you covet, you become envious. But Paul said, here's what we do. We get way back to the beginning and you just find your contentment in the only place that you can truly find it. And that is the recognition that no matter what you face, you are strengthened by what you have in Jesus and knowing that he has given you a job to do while on this earth. The increasing knowledge of what we have in Christ and what we do in Christ is what brings contentment and cancels coveting. 
I first wrote that sentence this way, but I thought it was a little much. Contentment cancels coveting and comes through cultivating concern for Christ's kingdom and confidence in Christ's compassionate commitment to care for his kids. It was a little much, right? (laughs) Just was kind of rolling. But the idea is that we become content when we say, okay, I'm going to grow in my understanding of what I have in Christ, and I'm going to focus on extending his kingdom. That's how we become content. And the first part of that is, is clear. You have to become a Christian. You don't have anything from Jesus if you're not a Christian. You have an offer of a bunch. You have an offer of salvation and forgiveness and hope and peace and grace and mercy and love and an eternal life in heaven. You have an offer of all that stuff, but you don't have anything until you accept the gift. And you'll never be content because the best you can do, the best you can do is to get another job or to make a little more money or get a new girlfriend because your wife's not good enough anymore. That's the best. That's the way you're gonna think for the rest of your life if you don't love Jesus and accept his gift of salvation and actually have something to drive the contentment that you want. But if you're a Christian, you have to gain a better understanding of all you have in him. I mean, we always talk like we should read the Bible more. You should read the Bible more, fine, but you should, you should care more about the great things you have in Jesus and they're written down in the Bible. You should care more about knowing what you have to look forward to in heaven and more about the peace that Jesus brings that's like a river and more about the joy that we can have despite the circumstances that we face and more about the love that God has for you. And the more people understand that, the more content they are no matter what the more they have enough, no matter what. You see, you can't just become a Christian and then go, well, I'm content, that doesn't work, that's nice. It lasts for a little while, and you go, wow, I'm really excited about this stuff, and I feel content, but over time, it will fade unless we're constantly growing and gaining in our understanding of what Jesus has offered us by dying and rising again for the forgiveness of our sins. We must, if we're going to avoid envy or coveting to take it a step back and discontentment, then we must be Christians. And we must be Christians who more and more are grasping all that Christ has offered us. Now, I think one of the hang-ups, and I'll finish just with this, I think one of the hang-ups that we have is that we, even those of us who are Christians, spend so much of our time thinking about worldly things that we don't have any time to really care or ponder or grow in our knowledge of what Jesus has offered us. And here in America, we have a real problem because we have so much and because the next goal is obtainable and because if you need to rearrange your furniture, you can or buy new furniture for a pretty good price at Ikea to feel more content. I read an article once that said discontent people rearrange their furniture more. That's where that came from. And in America, it's always like obtainable. I can divorce you and find somebody else. That's simple. I can just do that and then I'll be content. I can buy a new house. I can get a new car. I'll put it on credit. I don't even have to wait. But what you find is around the world, places that are impoverished, that don't have anything, they're more content than us. Because they, when they find Jesus, go, wow, I have something to look forward to. And that's all I want to think about because this sucks. Even on your worst day, it's probably a little too good. That's the problem. 
even when you're so down and so discontent, things are probably just a little too good because you think, well, if I just try a little harder, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll achieve. But Paul says the real trick is to just not think about those things and to think about the great things we have in Jesus so that we may be strengthened by him who strengthens. Will you pray with me, Lord? I want to be a man that is content. And I want this to be a church that is content, not lazy, um, but content, God. Resting and doing your will and striving to do your will. And so I pray, Lord, uh, for those of us, for those in front of me and behind me and those who will listen online, um, I pray that they would be content. And uh, I pray that for every person who will hear this sermon that isn't a Christian and is discontent, that they would give their lives to you, Lord. And at least they would search more and seek more and study more to find out if you're real and there's reason to place their hope in you, but at least take them down steps and ultimately lead them to you, Jesus, because they'll never be content without you. I know people, Lord. I know people, God, that are always discontent because they're always looking for you, but they don't know it. And I pray that would not be true of any person who hears this sermon. God, I pray for those of us who are Christians as well. And I pray, God, that you would help us to see all that this world has to offer as garbage, poop, Lord, and we would see what you have given us as the ultimate crown, the ultimate jewel, Lord. And we would be content in that. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen.